welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and if you're listening to this uh, live on the week that it comes out in between Christmas, uh, just know that this is a replay from a an earlier season that... Uh, I had with Joe Boot a conversation that we had on the question of virtues and vices that need to be uh, cultivated in the case of virtue and warred against and uh, defeated in the case of vices. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're having a very merry Christmas season. We've got brand new content coming out for you in the new year, and we're looking forward to that. We'll see you next week. The next... uh the next pair of uh, virtue and vice here that uh, that we've got to, to consider is that of commercial interests over spiritual truth, and this is a uh, this series is issues facing the church. Uh, this is this is none of these are unique or exclusive to the church as an institution, but uh, th- things like prosperity gospel preachers are are a well known and uh, sort of almost caricaturized phenomenon uh, when you talk about the church, or if you talk to some skeptic who doesn't want to, uh, to come to church, he'll point to thing, things like prosperity preachers as, as one of the major turnoffs, uh, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you know, that, uh, that skeptic's uh, unbelief is on his own head, but it's not that he's pointing, it's not that he isn't pointing to a real problem. Uh, so what... Uh, right. Where, where do we see this uh, in scripture? Who are who are some of the cases here? Well, a couple of um, prominent examples leap to mind. The the first, I think, I mentioned in passing already, and that that's the 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 prophet Balaam, right? Uh, who the famous incident, of course, is in the end God's preventing him um, from delivering the message he's paid to deliver um, with the the donkey. Um, God speaking through a, a, a donkey. Balaam is the is the um, you know I think is again referred to I think in the book of Jude actually that those who have gone the way of Balaam. Yes. Uh, and uh, the so so this is this is a this is a a, a paradigmatic example in that sense um, of those who peddle a message simply because they're paid to do it. Um, it's uh, and and they'll 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 prophesy for for, for pay. You know what mm-hmm. message do you want me to bring? Um, I'll bring it um, as long as you uh, as long as you as long as you pay. He's a good ex- so Balaam is a paradigmatic example. Of course, you have the New Testament example as well of Simon Magus. I think it is in the Book of Acts. That's right. Who Peter has to rebuke because he thought that yeah. he could buy. He's seeing Peter ministering in the power of the Spirit, and he thinks. Cool, I can make a profit out of that. I'm going to buy that. Yep, I'm, uh, I'm going to buy in. that power. Get a share of that, yeah. and um, and get a share of it. And so the apostle Paul makes crystal clear that some people preach the message uh, for personal gain, and mm-hmm. of course we do see that. Uh, you you've mentioned the the most um, obvious uh, examples of that within the, the prosperity preaching and some of the the televangelists and so on. But I think we also have to allow that to land closer to home too um, and say, well, you know, it's easy for any of us to slip into 
um, a, a, a treadmill in which um, it's for the paycheck. And we we will we'll prophesy a, a word that is suitable to the culture or merely uh, tickles the ears of the church um, because we are wanting to protect our paycheck. And mm. um, so it isn't just the more profile uh, charlatans who, you know, are wandering around the world, staying in the presidential suites, uh, um, flying first class everywhere on the donations of, you know, Ethel and and uh, and George in their seventies and eighties at home, sending in their checks uh, to the to the to the TV minister. Um, th- those sort of ang- tend to anger us the most. But the, the reality is, look at the last two or three years, Ryan. To what extent were many pastors and leaders? They didn't want to ruffle the feathers in their congregation. That's they right. um, wanted to peddle the message of the culture. They're receiving a paycheck. They didn't want that paycheck threatened. And so, like Balaam, prophesy what the culture wants to hear. You even had um, touring evangelical leaders in the States uh, promoting the vaccine for pay by yes. the NHI. Yeah. Uh, e- even men like Francis Collins and... Um, the the uh the the fact that we've got some you know very sort of stark prosperity gospel peddler examples doesn't mean that we can't look closer to home and say are there times when i compromise out of commercial interest are there mm-hmm. times when i'm preaching a message just because um the i don't want the tithes to go down i don't want people to leave the church because if I yep. say that or I preach that, my my living is under threat. Or what if the government might fine us? What if what if what if what if the government might shut us down? And so we it's easy to be tempted into a kind of professionalism, uh, which begins to mean that we're more like hirelings than we are shepherds. Um, yes. And so yeah, you know. That I, this one, I guess, is particularly not just for the general Christian, but for, for Christian leaders, that we avoid the temptation of being hirelings who uh, who just do it for the for the paycheck um, and for the pension, uh, rather than because we are fundamentally committed to the truth, the truth of the gospel, the spirituality, the spiritual the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God. Um, let's not be a Simon Magus either who thinks, oh, look, you know, uh, if I could just um, show that I've got those gifts, my ministry will be more popular and I'll make more money. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if I uh, if I write a book on this really popular subject and say something yeah. people really want to hear, um, I might uh, I might be able to, you know, write a bestseller. Maybe I can sell 50,000 copies or 100,000 copies if I just if I just hit the right hit the right subject and tickle the right people. Um, yeah. Then you know uh, maybe uh, I can make and and you see how it's so easy for for the commercial side for the economic aspect, so that we end up serving um, money, mammon, rather than God, and that's very easy to slip into. That's another major temptation. Yeah, yeah. No temptation. There's a lot of uh, a lot of money in the evangelical world. Maybe I can reinvent myself there and. Uh you know, get to uh, get my, get my good share. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Uh, next, uh, next issue uh, in the, uh, the question of character is the, uh, the opposition of independence or autonomy uh, might be a better term uh, versus accountability. And one of the, uh, yeah. one of the things that, uh, that you'll see sort of after the fact in, in a lot of these, uh, these high profile cases uh, who have fallen is that they, even if they had formal accountability structures, they found ways to get around them. And uh, this is, uh, again, this is, this is not new. Uh, we have always invented ways to, uh, to be a law unto ourselves. And, uh, and you've got a, a scriptural case for, uh, for this one as well. Yeah, I think this is a this is this one is another one that's easy to overlook if we're not careful that mm. we're in accountable relationships. This applies to all Christians, of course. Yeah. First of all, is we should be members of churches. We should be committed members of the church where we're under authority. Uh, even if we think that um, the that the, the church is less than it should be or ought to be. Uh, that isn't quite uh, fully aligned doctrinally with you, whatever it may be, that doesn't negate the need to be in accountable relationships. We need to be confessing our sins one to another. We need to be making sure that we're committed to the life of a local church um, and getting embedded there and um, people observing our lives and, and holding us accountable. This is especially true, of course, of people in leadership. You have no authority unless you're under authority, and we need to ensure that first we're under the authority of Christ, and then in whatever situation we're in, especially in the life of the local church, and even if we're Christian leaders, uh, we need to recognize the authority, legitimate authority, um, within the church or within the organizations with which we work and which we represent. Um, I was thinking in, in this instance uh, specifically about Absalom, in uh, scripture, I think is a, a, a paradigmatic example of what can begin to happen if we lose a genuine accountability, start to become autonomous, start to become a law unto ourselves, start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and we lose sight then of whom it is we are serving. Of course, King David is a type of Christ in the Older Testament, and he is Absalom's father. And in, in um, 2 Samuel 15, we have the tragic case of Absalom's revolt. And then in 16 through 18, you know, what eventually happens. But it's interesting how it all starts because Absalom, it says, gets himself a chariot, horses, and 50 men to run before him. He would get up early and stand beside the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone had a grievance to bring before the king for settlement, Absalom called out to him, and asked, what city are you from? If he replied, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel, Absalom said to him, look, your claims are good and right, but the king does not have anyone to listen to you, blah, blah, blah. And basically what starts to happen is Absalom loses progressively the sense of accountability to his father. Mm -hmm. Actually, to, the, to, to King David as a type of Christ, um, to the legitimate kingship. He actually has a real place. He's one of the king's sons. Yeah. There is a great future for Absalom if he had patience, if he would be faithful, if he'd honor the king. But no, what does Absalom have to do? Oh, he's got to start having uh, horses and chariots. He's got to have men run in front of him. 
um, crying out how wonderful he is. He's got to start uh, imposing himself um, where he shouldn't. He's got to start usurping um, authority and so on. And this is a this is a this is a familiar pattern that when we start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, when we start to usurp authority, when we lack accountability to the God-established authority. In this case, it was David, the representative of Christ, but also it would have been the king's house, the king's court, or the, the, the legitimate authorities there. Um, when we start to ignore that uh, uh, and we start to set it all aside, you know, the, 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 I think the book of Proverbs reminds us that he who isolates himself seeks his own way. And yes. if we start to withdraw and isolate ourselves from accountable relationships, from legitimate areas of authority in our lives, um, and don't walk through and engage, and this is true even in issues of church discipline in our relationships with other Christians, if we refuse situations to be mediated, refuse reconciliation in the context of broken relationships, um, refuse to bring things that need to be brought before elders, refuse to submit ourselves in uh, our ministries to the properly established authority and to address issues there that need to be addressed um, and remain, I think for Christian leaders especially, there needs to be accountability to other Christian leaders. There needs to be accountability, of course, in the local church. Um, and we need to ensure that, that you know, there others have got light shed into our lives and our existence, that there's visibility in it, that we don't just do our own thing, that we um, establish um, proper structures. Uh, a lot of ministries come a cropper and, and, and people fall because they never bother to establish proper structure. Um, they don't bring alongside trustworthy leaders. Um, they, they don't, they're not willing to work with others. They, they want all the glory for themselves. They won't let go of anything. So there's lots of ways in which this independence, this autonomy can happen, Ryan. Um, but it, it, there, a lack of accountability then comes in. And before you know it, they're, 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 you, you've rejected legitimate authority. You've mm -hmm. got your usurping, uh, the proper place of authority that doesn't really belong to you. Um, you've got the chariots running in front of you, telling you how, and the men telling you how wonderful you are. And the next thing you know is in, uh, you're, you're doing in the case of Absalom is you're listening to lying counsel. And this is the absolute tragedy: is Ahithophel um, uh, deceives, basically gives lying counsel to Absalom, mm -hmm. um, and he tells him to go and sleep with his father's concubines. Um, uh, that he left to take care of the palace. And actually Absalom sleeps with the wives of David uh, on the rooftop of the palace, it says, in the sight of all Israel. Yeah. there's In other words, there becomes a total contempt for authority. That's and all right. you're prepared to listen to is, is the advice of those who are telling you what you want to hear. Um, there's no broader input into your life. And we need that. We need that broad input, a variety of voices. Of you know, with many counselors, there is wisdom. And this Ahithophel is speaking into Absalom's ear, telling him to do these things, um, and Absalom's loving it. This is just what he wants to hear. He's going to humiliate mm -hmm. the king. He's going to humiliate his father. And um, yeah. this is where a lack of accountability goes. And very often, again, you see it here, just as with Solomon, it's failure in the sexual area. Yep. Yeah. 
um, and this is what we've seen with many of these these names that you mentioned, even at the beginning, uh, that there's there's frequently sexual sin and financial sin going together in these situations. A lot of it is grounded in this lack of accountability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if it's uh, if it's something something that you 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 desire, uh, and there's that lack of accountability, there's that sense of autonomy very easily lends itself to an attitude where I, I deserve this. There's, there's no reason why I should not have whatever woman I want, even if it's, it's somebody else's woman. Exactly. Um, yeah. A sense of entitlement that you're yeah. talking about starts to develop and yeah. people start to justify what they're doing in the name. Well, I deserve this. I've served the Lord. I've done this. I've done that. I've been passed over. I'm not asking for anything less than my rights. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we've uh, we've talked about some of David's sons. Uh, let's uh, let's look at uh, David's. Uh, uh, what's what's the opposite of successor? Who came before him? Uh, King Saul. Uh, predecessor. Predecessor. That's the one. Thank you. Uh, the uh, the issue, uh, uh, the character issue is uh, charisma versus character. And Saul, uh, in, uh, in true sort of, I guess, political fashion, was very presentable. Saul, Saul cut a good figure. Saul made an impressive, sort of struck a kingly aspect. And... Uh, and he, it's not to say he, he was the Lord's anointed. God, God did call him, but, uh, but the issue is charisma versus or over against character. And, uh, you had, uh, you had been talking about how, how King Saul really kind of exemplified that, uh, that dichotomy. Yeah. Just very quickly on that one. Cause I think you've, um, you've highlighted the, the right character there. King Saul, you know, head and shoulders above every other man. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, as you say, cut such an impressive figure, incredibly charismatic, obviously a very good leader of people. Uh, you know, people loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the people, when they, when they saw him said, you know, this is, this is the guy, uh, look at this guy. This is the guy. And uh, he even prophesied, uh, in, you know, First Samuel uh, nineteen. Uh, we learn that you know that the, the spirit comes upon um, Saul, and he, he even prophesies. But but Saul was presumptuous, and yep. in you know all of that gifting, all of that uh, the charisma that he had as an individual. Uh, when Sa- Samuel tells him, you know, wait, that, you know, wait for me before making the sacrifice. We, you know, we know if we know our Bibles that Saul presumed to act as a priest, he mm-hmm. went ahead and made sacrifices, and as a result, he loses his kingship. Um, and uh, you know, Saul's Saul's charisma outstrips his character. You see this in the way that he treats David. Yeah, um, the, the the man whom God has appointed to succeed him, rather than supporting him, rather than coming alongside him rather than helping to prepare David. No, he wants to, in the end, destroy him. Uh, He didn't want the competition. Uh, And this is often true when we allow charisma uh, to outstrip our character. It's like 
a, a tree that springs up quickly and spreads its branches everywhere, but it hasn't taken proper root. Mm-hmm. And it looks good. It looks wonderful. But the first you know, storm comes along and it's ripped up by the roots. And this is a critical issue. We've got to ensure in our lives, and especially when we're in leadership, especially when we're in Christian leadership, as pastors, leaders, um, evangelists, Christian apologists, we have to ensure that our character is being built and developed. It's not just gift that matters. It's not just how charismatic we are. There's nothing wrong with being gifted. God gives people gifts. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with yeah. being a, a, a gregarious, you know, charismatic figure. Some people are. Um, the issue is if our character uh, doesn't sustain, cannot sustain the gift uh, that we have because we haven't taken deep root. And I, there's a good illustration, I think, as well in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 11, 5, mm. Paul refers to these super apostles. And right. um, yep. it seems that it's sort of back in in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, I think, verses 3 through 5 there, we see, we're see we seeing the kind of things that the super apostles were like and what they were um, claiming for themselves. Uh 2 Corinthians 10, did I say? I think I did. Let me just, I'm just turning there very quickly. Um, 3 through 5. Um, Paul says, though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And... Um, it seems that these super apostles were impressive physically. They were impressive rhetoricians. Um, mm-hmm. In a sense, they embodied the ideal of the day of the Greco-Roman world. Uh, they had charisma, but they lacked character. And so Paul um, says I uh, in uh, chapter 11, verse 5, now I consider myself in no way inferior to these super apostles, in inverted commas, though untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have always made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. And he goes on. You can see these issues coming together again, can't you? You know, charismatic figures, rhetoricians, uh, super apostles. Sounds like there were charges involved, perhaps high fees for for preaching nothing wrong with being generous mm. to god's servants and paul does say those who labor in the word are worthy of double pay so you know we we should pay properly and support properly those that labor in the word but this was of a different character here there was a lack of humility uh there was this again it was charisma over character and uh, we see it in saul we see it there in the newer testament right yeah absolutely uh one who uh get into the uh, the new testament with this uh, this next example uh this is uh this is actually the case of uh, James and John two of Christ's disciples uh who would were known to argue uh argue over their their reputation their place who was going to be greatest in the kingdom uh the uh the divide here uh the virtue and the vice is uh is ambition for, uh, selfish ambition uh, over against service to God, and uh, it's uh, it, it's just interesting. I'll, I'll get you yeah. to uh, to comment on this, but uh, it's interesting that the, these two uh, had 
had the opportunity, had the the, the blessing of being rebuked for their uh, for their ungodly ambition, and to uh, to go on to uh, to godly service. But uh, but I'll, I'll ask you to uh, to flesh that uh, that scenario out a little more. Yeah, well, for those not familiar, there in 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 Matthew twenty, it's that it is a famous incident, quite an amusing incident, really, um, mm-hmm. where the mother of Zebedee's sons uh, approached the Lord with her sons, um, uh, with this with this request, and it's it's a request that basically um, hurts her sons. Are, would be the ones that would get to sit in the places of highest honor and highest authority in the kingdom. Imagine that, to sit at the right hand and the left hand of the Lord Jesus, you know, the two brothers. Uh, look, at the, look at the elevation of the family there. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe they were claiming something of a, um, of a, of a sort of um, uh, a right of family relationship here too, because James and John were Jesus' cousins. That's right. Uh, and so maybe uh, James and John and, and their mother thought, well, you know, this is this is not an unreasonable request. Not only are we disciples, but we're we're cousins of the Lord in the flesh. And, you know, why not? Why shouldn't we get to sit? And um, what 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 a what a fascinating incident it is because the other disciples at the time aren't around and and the other 10 come back and they realize they hear about what's yeah. been requested and of course their pride is inflamed and they're, they're <laughs> yeah. super angry rather than sort That's of letting right. it go sort of saying well well you know the lord can handle handle that that's none of our, none of my business um they're they're enraged about it really because they're, well i that, i wanted that seat Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is so easy for us, isn't it, to to slip into wanting uh, to be seen, wanting the position of power and authority, uh, and this can look this, this this can happen not just for the, the 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 minister, the pastor, the evangelist, the apologist, the leader. This can happen in any aspect of ministry in the life of the local church. Uh, it can happen, of course, in our workplaces too. Um, but it can certainly get expressed just as easily in ordinary relationships in the life of the church about who has the ear of the leader and this kind of thing, this kind of one-upmanship. But here you had this egregious example, Lord, we've got the relationship with you. We want the seats at the right and the left hand. We want, we've got this ambition. Now, godly ambition is not a bad thing. I mean, Paul tells us to eagerly desire the greater gifts, and he tells us that those who desire to be an overseer, to be an elder, um, desire something good. Um, so there, there's nothing wrong with godly ambition for the kingdom. The issue here is selfish ambition, and this is what's crept in in this classic example. Jesus' response is, is, is remarkable. Um, first of all, he says, look, you know, positions of authority in the kingdom are given by my father. So that that's not something that I'm going to uh, address. He says that, yeah. that, that, that those are for, for those whom it's been prepared by my father. He, he will, he will apportion out responsibility and authority in the kingdom. Um, but Jesus takes the moment to give them all a, a lesson. He says, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. I think the word in the Greek there is kata, 
It means to to hold down, to stand on. And the the men of high position exercise power over them. Um, so this this dominating power, this kata, this to keep down, um, he says it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. So he's saying, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, serve the Lord. Be God's deacon. Serve the life of the kingdom of God. Serve one another. Don't, don't take the model from the pagan world that says, right, if you want to be an important person, make sure you dominate and stamp on other people and hold them down and climb over them to get where you want to be. No, serve um, and be the servant of all. The Son of Man, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve. So if we want greatness in the kingdom of God, let's serve. Let's not let ambition come over service. This is key to Christian character. It doesn't come naturally to anyone because of our sin nature. Yeah. We have to cultivate yeah. service and an ambition only for the kingdom of God that his kingdom be extended, his name be glorified and honored and lifted up. And uh, let God decide your seating position at the table in the kingdom. Right. Yeah. So we, thanks for, uh, thanks for going through that, Joe. We've, uh, we've come through several pairs of virtues and vices of uh, godly and ungodly behavior and attitudes and we've we've arrived this is the uh, the seventh and the final uh final pair a perfect number well uh, well organized <laughs> we absolutely did that on purpose from the beginning uh but uh, the uh <laughs> the the dichotomy here is between posturing and humility uh you've already mentioned the uh the super apostles uh, who are kind of come to uh, come to mind as one of the per perhaps the most obvious illustration of this from scripture. But uh, we, we see this, this is perhaps one, one of the most obvious things that we can, uh, we can witness in the present day uh, with uh, every, every pastor and uh, would-be Christian leader or influencer active on social media, um, trafficking in a, a very cultivated um, brand of themselves that they desire to present to the world. But uh, let's say, say more, Joe, about the this biblical distinction, the distinction between posturing and true humility. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the great uh, Older Testament example, I think, of posturing over against um, humbling himself was Pharaoh uh, in the encounter between God and Pharaoh uh, in Egypt. All the posturing of Pharaoh as a great god of the Nile, of the, uh, the son of the sun god Ra, he had every opportunity uh, to submit himself to the Lord, to, to, to humble himself. But he postured. Mm -hmm. He, he, uh, you know, when you think about that, uh, that situation, how he kept, how he promised one, you know, one at a certain point, he, it seemed that he had given in. He, he and he'd say, "Yeah, I'm going to let you go," and then he'd go back on his word, and he did it again. He goes back on his word again, as though that there was some kind of equal 
equal fight going on between Pharaoh and God, as though this was the two two equal and opposite squaring off against one another. Um, right. He had a reputation to uphold. He was the God of Egypt. He he was the he was the God who commanded the Nile. Another God. Um, he was son of the sun god Ra. How could he? He could not be challenged. His will could not be challenged. His and so he positioned himself. The pharaohs were, you know, such Im- immense postures, weren't weren't they? The, the the monuments, the 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 pyramids, the burial grounds. Um, these were the ultimate postures of the ancient world. And of course, much of paganism was fundamentally for, because the idea of the, the locus of the divine was seen to be in the ruler, the king, the pharaoh, the emperor. It was all about posturing. It was all about presenting an image. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, and he sets up the image uh, in Babylon to be worshipped. Uh, he knew he wasn't a god. Uh, he knew that uh, he was a was a mere man, but he had an image to keep up. He had a reputation mm-hmm. to protect, as did Pharaoh, and he yeah. didn't want his reputation ruined with the people of Egypt. That he was going to be defeated by some god of the hills and these two wandering shepherds who'd come in from the wilderness to demand that this incredibly uh, enriching. Uh, slave people that were building all of these immense projects for him that he should let them go. And that was humiliating. Right. He refused to humble himself. But all of that show and all of that posturing, well, God exposes it for what it is. Empty bluster. I mean, that in the end, what it amounted to. And Pharaoh's horses and chariots are drowned in the sea. And um, so you have a, I, I think Pharaoh is the, of course, he's he's in for the early church, the early uh, the uh, the early um, uh, interpreters of scripture, the patristic fathers. Uh, mm. They saw Pharaoh very much as a as an uh, as an image of Satan um, yes. in in his pride and in his posturing, um, yeah. and uh, from whom we need deliverance, you know. And so this is this, and and, and you're absolutely right that. In, in of course, Pharaoh in the in the ancient set had this massive platform. Uh, he had access to this huge platform. He was Pharaoh, and and so very few people in those days had access to a platform. It was right. it was kings. It was these you know these heroes, uh, these living gods who had who were the pla- who had the platform. Who were the influencers of their era? Most people were slaves. Um, but of course, modern technology has changed all of that, hasn't it? Modern technology has made it possible for basically ordinary people with a with a with a phone uh, to posture as and become influencers. You know, it never ceases to amaze me when my kids come to me and say, "You know, Joe, Dad, if not they don't call me Joe. I should add, uh, <laughs> Dad." Um, <laughs> Have, have, have you seen this person? Have you heard of this guy? What they're saying? All Although they make their living just on, uh, you know, from being an influencer. You know, I think yeah. of um, uh, Meghan Markle and uh, and Prince Harry, for example, oh, right yeah. now, you know, uh, social media influencers. But what's really behind it? What real substance is there there? Um, there's, there's no 
humility and the posturing doesn't resemble the reality. It didn't resemble it for Pharaoh. It didn't for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and uh, in the in the Newer Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter even gets caught up with a bit of this mm -hmm. uh, when the party of the Pharisees. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the 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 tendency on social media to. Um, sort of separate out into these various uh, tribes to become an influencer right. who has a certain tribe and you have then your image and your brand that you are popularizing. And that becomes a sort of tribal image. Um, well, you had the, the tribe of the Pharisees. You had the party of the Pharisees in the early church in the first century there, even in the time of the apostles. And Paul, Peter was so influenced by these influencers uh, in the church, they had formed a party. They were influential. That somebody of the stature of the apostle Peter felt it necessary to go along with what Paul says was their sin, their nullification of the gospel, separating themselves from the Gentiles, separating themselves in, out into their own kinist little group, uh, into their own um, tribe, uh, to say, well, you know, we, we, we don't associate with these, uh, lesser believers. They're not, they're not part of the in crowd. They're not part of our tribe. Let's face it. That's what was going on. It, it had a, um, uh, ethnic overtones. It had religious overtones. Um, it had superiority overtones, all kinds of very unhealthy overtones, but these were influences and their influence. The party of the Pharisees was so great that, it had an impact, such an impact, actually, that Paul writes the book of Galatians. That's right. Uh, to make sure that there's a proper understanding um, of what the law, um, what the promises, what uh, the value of the promises are, um, and what the grace of God really means in and through Jesus Christ. So, and and what you're what you're what you're getting to, and I think this is a grave temptation. This is this is a, this is the again. It comes to an issue of character, Christian character, um, especially when we learn a new part of the faith or we discover, for example, I see it amongst uh, even many with whom I would identify in the reformed movement. You know, with the, the 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 reformational movement, it's easy for people to discover a, a, a reformed understanding and encounter the Puritans or encounter reformational thinking. And then suddenly we're, we're, we're quickly dividing up into tribes, into camps. And we're, and, um, we're, we're, we become influencers. We may not even lead a church. We may not have, have an established track record or an established ministry, but suddenly, um, we think that our voice counts more than anybody else's. And we divide up into ever smaller tribes that are centered around a particular influencer or a particular voice and so on. And um, this is ungodly. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's basic, it's posturing over humility. And then when the debates and the discussions then happen between these camps, it's like world war three um, has, uh, has broken out. And uh, look, it's possible for every, anybody and everybody to be drawn into that. Um, the, the the it's a it's an easy temptation on social media social media doesn't require you to be in a room with people it doesn't require you to hammer these things these things out <clears throat> in a matthew 18 type of setting um it allows people to throw around 
um, all kinds of um, insults and accusations um, and to get in, involved in Facebook wars and Twitterati wars and so on and so forth. Well, you know, my counsel to people would be, you know, 120 or 140 characters or whatever it is, is not enough to have a debate. Uh, you can make certain points on, but don't get drawn into endless debates and endless self vindication and endless mudslinging and endless tribalism and sectarianism on social media platforms. Just get on with being faithful, serve the Lord. Mm. Doesn't mean you can't utilize social media. Um, doesn't mean you can't comment on social media or alert people to certain things, but let's not sort of invent a, um, a sectarian brand that, uh, that so that we become an influencer with a brand that that then unless you dot X number of I's and cross X number of T's, you're not in um, and, you know, start to develop these parties um, like the, the, the like the party of the the Pharisaic uh, party. Um, s- social media is not social reality. Let's rem- let's just remind ourselves of that. Mm-hmm. Social media mm-hmm. is not social reality. And uh, just because we create an image or a social media reputation or a brand value and, you know, people give you X number of likes or follows or whatever it may be, um, that um, don't let's not imagine that that somehow rex, uh, reflects the reality uh, of on the ground of our Christian life, our Christian work, our Christian service. So this is true for all Christians, but it's especially that temptation again for Christian leaders, pastors, evangelists, apologists, and so on, theologians. Um, there's a big temptation there. There, Let's resist that temptation um, and make sure that um, the our, our public persona is matched by our by our by the personal reality of who we are in Christ, um, and let's not let the, um, the 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 artificial distance and the superficiality of social media replace the reality of relationships um, on the ground. Um, mm. let, let's try and maintain a um, a kingdom mentality, and I would say a kind of kingdom ecumenicity uh, that. Um, is willing to have debate, have have civilized discussion, uh, and uh, yes, we 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 can challenge one another. We can um, uh, debate important issues, uh, but let's make sure we do so in the in the right spirit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting the contrast between uh, between Pharaoh and Peter. Which is is not a common uh, biblical contrast, but uh, <laughs> f- uh, it's the the signs, the plagues that God poured out on Egypt were very, very public. Uh, they didn't just influence Pharaoh and his court; they influenced uh, the whole uh, the whole nation. And right. as they as they went on, even even he, all of his advisors were saying to Pharaoh, like, "Don't don't you see that Egypt is destroyed? Like, just." Just let it go. You, your let stubbornness is, is ruining us. Uh, that's right. And you don't need the con- last word. I mean, that's a factor, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The, the 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 sorry to just cut off you there, but uh, uh, you know, always wanting the last word, which I'm going to let you have on this this, this podcast. Um, <laughs> the 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 way in which that's such a huge temptation for 
for, for for people. And Peter is an interesting example because it's not the only incident of him struggling with this area. You remember when he rebuked the Lord himself right. uh, about, no, you will not, this is, this is, this, these things will never happen to you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, even at the, at the last supper, he says, no, Lord, you know, if any, everyone may betray you, but, but not me, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Peter learns that the, the hard way. And he went out and he wept bitterly when he, when he betrayed the Lord. So look, you know, posturing to present a brand, to present something that's not the reality. That's what we're talking about here. Um, let's have integrity. Let's have honesty in these interactions. And let's not always worry about having the last word, always vindicating ourselves endlessly. Leave room for the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, thank you. Uh, you preempted a lot of what I was going to say about Peter. So I'll, uh, I'll actually let you have the last word and just content myself with <laughs> saying that uh, I, I was going to say the same thing. Uh, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll be with you again uh, next week as ever. Uh, Joe's, uh, Joe's going on holiday. We've got some stuff uh, that we'll be sharing with you uh, that we've uh, picked up over the course of that, uh, that time. We've got some guests that are, uh, we're looking forward to lined up. Uh, we remind you, as ever, that from him and through him and to him are all things. May God be glorified, and we'll be uh, with you next week. 